0: hello folks i'm your host dale pollard and i'm your co-host carl pollard and you're listening to the bible's not boring it's a podcast and it's aimed at proving its name with each and every episode i
1: think i'll have what i'm having noise
2: it was a particularly dark evening in rural north alabama and it was about bedtime so chelsea leashed up the dog and grabbed a flashlight so we could take him to do his business Over the previous couple of days, I'd noticed a series of deep ruts in the yard, and I'd kind of hoped they were caused by a hog, so I'd grab my rifle and walk outside with Chelsea. She'd have the dog and the only flashlight, and I'd have the rifle. Well, that fateful, dark, still evening, we walked out as usual, and suddenly, just a few yards away, an enormous figure loomed out of the darkness, illuminated only by the faint beams of the flashlight on my wife's phone. It was an armadillo. This armadillo was easily about 25 pounds heavy and did not look like something that could move very quick. It was plopped next to a tree, digging up the ground, and the sound of its scraping reverberated through the darkness. I asked Chelsea to point her light at the creature so I could take aim and kill him ethically. I pulled the trigger, hit him square in the side. But then this armadillo jumped three feet or so into the air and bolted into the darkness with blinding speed. We thought, huh, guess that's it then. With the retreat of the armadillo, Chelsea departed, with the flashlight and the dog, to another part of the property to encourage him to finish his business. I started to follow her, but no sooner had the faint beam of her light disappeared than did I hear what sounded like a horse galloping through the grass straight towards me. It was pitch black, but the moon came just enough out of the clouds for me to make out the shape of an angry armadillo charging towards me with the ferocity of a thousand nightmares. He wasn't lumbering along, no, he was galloping. A great terror overcame me, and I knew that my time had come. I was to be sent to the pearly gates by a nine-banded armadillo. As he charged me, I fired again and again and again, until I'd shot him seven times. With each shot, the armadillo changed course to attack from a different angle, and with each shot, I feared that my heart would stop long before the armadillo could even reach me. At last, with only one round left in the magazine, the thundering gallop ceased. At this point, I frantically rushed my wife and dog back into the relative safety of the house, hoping that the doors and the walls would be enough to keep out the creature. When the morning arrived, I went out to see if my visitor from Satan's halls had expired, and there, in the grass, seemingly while trying to crawl towards the front door, was the Armadillo. It took seven shots to put him down, and in return, he took seven years from my life.
1: spooky season.
0: Spooky, spooky, spooky. Spooky season. You know, for this Halloween special, what we decided to do is just tell you some of our favorite scary stories that have happened to us. And it kind of became a family affair because our parents sent in some of their favorite scary stories. Our older brother sent in one of his favorite scary stories. Carl's got some. I got some, of course. And then a friend of ours named Wes Autry decided to send in a scary story that happened to him in Cambodia while on a mission trip, and it's all real good. Needless to say, there's so much audio there with the storytelling that we just decided, you know what, this is just gonna be a special episode with scary stories, but Dad is still doing the two-minute. You, you two got minute. two minutes? You got two minutes? Do so, you? Wait. Well, if you got two minutes, you're just Neil two to tell some great stuff. That's right. Encouraging encouragement. Yes. And so that is gonna be at the end, so stick around for that, but right now, if there are small children present, you might want to plug their ears because these tales
1: are quite frightful. Well, Dale, you know the hard part is deciding which tales of terror to unravel oh, for our dear pilgrims. We just have too many. You know, there's the nightcrawler from the brush. Oh, give me sureness. There's flagman. Oh, flagman. There's the tappy goon from Grant. Now that one is that one is very. Scary. Yeah, so we're not going to tell that one on here, but I will just say, okay. I woke up at the middle of the night and someone was lightly tapping. On the window next to my bed, and then it paused, and then it went to the other window in my room and started tapping. Dale's witness, I facetimed him, and he heard it too. I heard the tapping oh, over yeah. FaceTime, yeah. It, it was terrifying. I was laying in a bed of guns for the rest of the night. <laughs> you know, those are some solid ones, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's but, say we uh dose these listeners with a dollop of dread. What do you oh, say? Let's,
0: let's do just that, Carl. Y'all gear up. Grab some popcorn, grab a shotgun, and uh, let's, uh, let's tell some <laughs> scary stories. I
1: like it. Her name was Barbara, and she showed up at the Hebrew Church of Christ one Sunday morning about a year ago. When I first met her, she seemed a little off, but she seemed sweet. But the more I got to know her, the more I realized, this lady is insane. One Sunday morning, she asked me to lay hands on her dead husband to come to the hospital and to lay my hands on her husband and pray over his body. And that was just the start. Every single Sunday when she would show up, she would make some sort of commotion or she'd scream or yell or she'd fall over or she'd yell and tell me to get her some water in the middle of me teaching class. She definitely wasn't there. But when you think about who she was, she was an elderly lady about 60 years old, and she had pure white hair, and she had very big eyes. And the reason I remember her eyes is because she would never look away from me. When I was preaching, she would be staring constantly, and even when I'd get down and finish my sermon and walk to the back of the foyer, she would shift in her seat and stare at me. It was very uncomfortable, and I remember being slightly afraid of her at this point, but then she started calling me. I don't know how she got my number. I guess maybe she took it off of one of the uh, flyers in the back of the auditorium, but she started calling me over a dozen times a day. She would leave these very strange and creepy voicemails, and I remember one time, it was about 11.30 at night, I was in bed, and I heard someone knocking on the door, and then someone started to pound on the door. I ducked down on my bed and then after a couple minutes, I got a notification on my phone and it was a voicemail from Barbara. I click on it and I hear her crying and she says, I'm on your front porch and I need you to open the door. Please open the door. This was late at night and I remember being scared to death. Well, the next morning around 5 a.m., I get another voicemail, and I hear her knocking on my door again. She kept leaving these voicemails, and she kept coming to my house, and over and over and over again, I would have to hide or, or try and move so she couldn't see me because she was constantly at the house. I finally had to tell her to, to quit calling me and to stop coming to the house at these crazy hours, and she started crying and saying that she was sorry she didn't mean to hurt me or get me in trouble, and. That was really the last of it. I didn't see her again for a couple of months. I started to slowly forget about her, and I still remember having a strange feeling every time I'd get back from the gym. I would walk in from my car, and I'd feel like I was being watched. And I know that's kind of a cliche saying, but every time I would get out of the car, coming back from the gym uh, late at night, I would feel like someone was staring at me finally one evening and this is exactly like a horror movie i saw barbara but if you don't know what the my front yard looks like i have a bunch of very tall trees and there's about five foot gaps in between each tree and to the right of my house there's a large cornfield well like every night i got back from the gym and i felt like i was being watched but i went inside And Then I let the dogs out, and I was standing on my front porch. The moon was shining down. You could see everything perfectly clear. And In the middle of the field, at about 11.30, 12 o'clock at night, there was Barbara. She wasn't moving. She wasn't waving. She wasn't trying to walk up to the house. She was standing there in the middle of the cornfield next to my house, staring. I finally called the dogs in, and I ran inside. And I sat there and I looked out my window, the moon shining on her face and her staring at the house and she did not move for at least three hours. I learned later that she actually lived in the house just two, I I believe it was just two doors down from where I lived. And so she would always come over or she would stand there. I don't know why she was staring, but I found out that her family actually placed her in a mental, mental institution. But you don't forget a lady like that. And to this day, I still get creeped out when I look at that cornfield.
0: If you made it this far into the episode, thank you for listening to TBNB. If you love our podcast, give it a share. share if you don't it. love it, share it. You can still share it. That's right. Because anything is possible if you put your mind to it. I'll just think about that. I think I will. Carl, uh, how you doing, my crusty Duster?
1: Well, you know, Dale, I've never been crustier or dustier, so pretty good. Oh, well, that's good to hear. You're welcome.
0: You know, this is one of my favorite holiday seasons, but every time it rolls around, I cringe when I think about the mm-hmm. Halloween costumes we wore in years past. Yes. I mean, we really just went as homeschoolers every year, yeah, no matter... No, no matter right. what we were dressed up you,
1: you as. Know, yeah, we always looked like homeschoolers. We, yeah. try, we tried. <laughs> we always failed. Uh, but you already know what
0: year in particular I'm thinking of because we were talking oh, yeah. about it before this. Uh, <laughs> we dressed up in such a way that it took us to a whole different level of bozoness. Is so, that a word? Yeah, I think so. Bozoness? It is now. Oh, all
1: right. So, I like so,
0: it. so here's what I want you to do, Carl, for, for our, our dear pilgrims. I want you to just to describe this, this homemade costume-making process. And I want to see if any of our listeners can guess what kind of costume you were making. It, it won't happen, but just for fun.
1: All right. Well, let's see here. I was really excited about this costume. Got a bunch of cardboard. <laughs> I cut a giant cone out of this hat thingy. I don't know what I was making. Back then, I still don't really. You know, I don't know now, didn't know then, but I took a bunch of cardboard, I cut a cone shape out of it, and then I colored it black. And then I put a, (laughs) I put a giant cardboard piece around my body and I grabbed a briefcase and filled it with a bunch of Sharpies. And that was my costume. That's about it. You got to explain what you were though. Uh, you're not gonna try and guess? I already know what it was. It didn't look like it. He dressed up <laughs> as <laughs> he dressed up as a sharpie.
0: Big cardboard cut out of a cone on his head, like a pope's
1: like, hat. Like the sharpie pen. <laughs> I was obsessed with him. Okay, I was homeschooled. I had nothing better to do, and it fascinated me that there could be something that was permanent that you could write with. So I decided, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I'll be a giant sharpie
0: for halloween i you know and i laugh at it but that year i dressed up as that same year so me and carl me and carl are trick-or-treating in the neighborhood walking around and that year i decided to dress up as an altoid can a can of altoids like i was
1: allergic to friends i just think about what what did our parents think (laughs) they let us go out the door like Dale, what do you want to be for Halloween? An Outlaw. cat. I want to be an Outlaw, cat Mom. Carl, I want to be a giant Sharpie. I want to be a Sharpie.
0: <laughs> parents are like, we have failed
1: so somewhere."
0: <laughs> oh, man. I don't even know why I was obsessed with those Curiously Strong mints.
1: Oh, man. <sighs> yeah, you know, we've come a long way.
0: We no, have, we haven't. We, we really not have. really. The, but, the, the obsessions have just changed. I'm no longer obsessed with mints. I'm obsessed with Nugget Ice.
1: Yeah, I know. You, you always want to find... The nugget ice, like the stuff you get at Sonic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which is
1: nice, but I don't understand the obsession. No, it's
0: not just nice, it's all there is. If a gas station doesn't sell nugget ice, it's irrelevant to me. Uh, Quite frankly, they make me mad. I'm not (laughs) drinking my Diet Coke and ice chips made out of flat toilet water. But if I was on the verge of dying of thirst and I came to a gas station without nugget ice, I mean, I'd obviously make do, but I would be
1: irate. You know, at least you're not dramatic. I remember times when we'd be passing a gas station and I'd try and stop and you go, "No, they got the wrong ice." They ain't got the right you're ice. You're obsessed man. with they that ain't nugget ice. They got the right ice. They got to have nugget ice. You've come a long way from the weird mint obsession, but I mean, it hasn't it's just changed it's from just one changed. thing to the next.
0: I think for Halloween I'm going to be a big thing of nugget ice. <laughs> Ah, summertime. Who doesn't love the long days and hot nights? A time where pasty white preachers like ourselves can enjoy a darker shade of skin for a few months. Well, more like a month. There's a couple months where we have to suffer through that initial burn. We're pretty much glowing like red embers, but wow. By the time it finally turns into a tan and we've adapted to the changing weather, it gets cold. Anyway, one of our favorite pastimes is to ride our motorcycles along the back roads of Grant, Alabama. Me and Carl had just finished a workout at a gym in Gunnersville, and we were enjoying the warm night air on the ride back that night. We turned off the main highway onto a back road, and the back roads in Grant are always pitch black at night, and whoever happens to be riding in front turns on the brights to help us see a little bit better, you know, just in case any deer, possum, coon, armadillo, squirrel, dog, chupacabra might jump out in front of us. Carl was riding his motorcycle just in front of me. Even with the brights on, the visibility wasn't great, but we knew these roads pretty well and, well, we decided to let the eagles rip and make a little noise on the ride home. I was focused on the taillights on, My brothers bike because I couldn't see much else, and suddenly Carl's back wheel locks up as he pulls a fistful of brakes. When I look up, there's a woman, sitting cross-legged in the middle of the road. She was just staring at the woods on the other side. She turned and looked at us, and it was clear that we spooked her, but not more than she'd spooked us. She was skinny, dirty, barefoot, with long straight hair, that's about all I noticed. She then scrambled on all fours into the ditch and into the woods. My first thought was, we should stop and see if she needs help, but Carl was freaked out enough that by the time this thought entered my mind, he had recovered from his screeching halt and took off as fast as he could go. No, I wasn't going to let him leave me behind. I've seen the grudge, and I know what happens to stragglers in pretty much every horror movie. I dropped the gear and sped off him. When I got to the house, Carl had just beat me there and he would already had his kickstand down and was making strides across the yard to get inside. I'm sure he would have locked me out if I didn't get moving. Both of us collapsed on the couch wondering what in the world just happened out there. We peeked out the blinds and all we saw was darkness. Our nerves were high, but later there was a knock on the door. Timidly we answered and there at the door was a shirtless man with tattoos. For some reason, we decided to go ahead and open the door and talk to him and he said, Can you tell my wife the motorcycles aren't out to get her? Not us, the motorcycles. What's even more disturbing was the fact that crouched behind the tree in our front yard was the skinny woman. Her eyes were wide and she looked paranoid and clearly not in her right mind. Carl spoke up from the door. The motorcycles aren't trying to get you. This last story will need some disclaimers. Your host and co-host do not believe in ghosts, aliens, or any other similar creatures. We're just saying we have no explanation for the events that took place a few years back In Colorado.
1: Talk about a fishing spot. Yes, indeed. Golf course. They stock the ponds full of largemouth bass. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so we were like, you know what? We should keep hitting this golf course. That was, where was it? Lakewood? Lakewood, yeah. I think it was Lakewood. Yeah, Fox Hollow golf course. Fox Hollow. And we would sneak on there. It's against the law. We were immature at the time. And we would have the best luck catching these massive bass. Yep, and, but at night, though, they, they closed it down.
0: No one was allowed on it. I mean, this was a mm. massive golf course. I mean, it ran for miles. And so me, Carl, and a friend of ours uh, hopped the fence, and we began to hike to this little pond that's out in the middle of the huge golf course. And the moon was shining bright. There wasn't mm-hmm. a cloud in the sky. And the blue lighting was already pretty eerie, but we weren't thinking about that. Just those fish
1: that we were going to catch. So we start to hike up this big hill. And on the other side was the pond that we'd always fish at. So we would army crawl up to the top and then peek our heads over the hill and then look down, check, make sure there was no security and that we had the place to ourselves. And it was three in the morning, this one instance. And we weren't expecting any park rangers, anyone to be around because it was so early slash late. But then something strange caught our eye. We got three heads poking up over
0: this hill, looking down onto our favorite fishing spot. And we see next to the lake this big white flag, and it's waving in the wind, and it's kind of mimicking those, the movements of uh, those big, weird, inflatable windsocks that are in front of like used car lots yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And it was just dark enough and just far away enough that we really couldn't make out exactly what it was.
1: And so while we're trying to figure out what this flag's doing right here that we've never seen before, our friend Lucas pulled out a map on his phone of the golf course, and he said that it was a flag marking a hole on the golf course. And so me and Lucas, we crouch back behind the hill and we start uh, baiting our hooks. So we had our flashlights out so we could start putting our lures and stuff on our line because it was pitch black down at the pond. Well, Dale wasn't so convinced that it was just a flag. Me and Lucas are busy setting up our rods, and he noticed something that was weird about this flag. Yeah, it must have been like a, a solid five
0: minutes where Carl and our friend Lucas, they're they're baiting their hooks, and I'm just staring down the hill at this thing. <laughs> I thinking, what is he
1: doing? You're just staring, I'm just, man. No, it's no, creepy. I'm,
0: I am intently staring at this thing, trying to make out any details or or anything like that and it would begin waving at the most weird and sporadic Mm. times and then it would stand motionless Mm. and it was just so strange and I kept looking trying to
1: make out any more details and I was more curious than afraid at that point. It was just really odd. Well, me and Lucas, we finally get our poles ready and so I tapped Dale and we all did one more check to make sure that the coast was clear. There was no security guards or anything and then we stood up on top of the hill and we started to walk down towards the pond. And about halfway down the hill, we all stopped because the flag quit moving. Yeah, we froze. I mean, for a split second,
0: uh, Lucas just says, that's not a flag. Then this thing, whatever it Hmm. is, I don't don't know what it was, (laughs) this thing begins to stride across the back of the pond. And it looked like it had long legs and it was moving in slow motion. But I mean, it was... It was going quick Mm -hmm. and we all three screamed and dropped our poles and began running at full sprint back
1: to the woods yeah our hearts are pounding and none of us could really understand what it is that we were looking at or what we just saw but it only got weirder lucas was in the back and then we hopped this log fence that was blocking the sidewalk from the park and on the other side of the woods we saw this thing running and lucas who was behind us screamed and shoots past me and Dale. And so as homeschoolers, we weren't exactly in the best, you know, athletic shape, you know, sports and all that. And so when we turned around and we saw that thing, we saw that it had come from the back of the pond that was down the hill. We had a big head start on this thing. yeah. And we saw how fast it had closed the gap between us. Man, we booked it. We just screamed our heads off. I screamed like a girl. And Mm. we didn't have our poles anymore. I dropped that long ago. And we were booking it out of that golf course.
0: Oh, yeah. We got into the car that was parked. And we parked in a nearby neighborhood. And we locked the doors. And Lucas threw the car in drive. And we sped off in a panic. And trying to make sense of what happened, I asked everyone that was in the car <laughs> exactly what they saw. And none of us could remember seeing a face, just long legs, a weird white sheet with where the torso, torso, I guess, should have been. And I don't remember seeing any arms or anything either. Uh, no details besides a slow moving set of legs, but extremely a, tall. Yeah, very, very tall. Mm. And it was waving, it like, had a, like a white cloak on, on it or something like
1: that. It's really it's
0: hard to describe, but it was terrifying.
1: Yeah, and so over the next couple of days and even years, we all talk about what happened that night, and we term this thing, we call it Flag Man. Flag Man. We tried to come up with an explanation, but even our attempts left us with questions. If someone was on stilts wearing a a sheet over the stilts what in the world are they doing standing by a pond in the middle of a golf course at 3am waving around like a flag and how did it make its way around the pond and catch up to us at full sprint so easily even though it looked like it was moving so slow. If there were two people in costumes trying to play some kind of prank. How did they know that we would be there or that anyone was going to be at the golf course at that time of night?
0: While we know there has to be some logical explanation Mm. for the things that we saw, it freaked us out enough that we never have been back to that spot since. Mm -hmm. And we're not superstitious. 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 Yeah. This is just not, you know, this is is one of those stories that we scratch our heads over. And honestly, it's something that I think about when I'm the guy with church building lockup on Wednesday night. If I'm ever the one that's in charge of closing the doors and making sure everything's locked and turning off the lights, I get out of there pretty quick if Flagman comes to mind. Flagman.
3: Well, Dale and Carl wanted us to share with you some of the things that we found scary. And uh, I'm gonna let Kathy go first, and then I've got a story to share, too.
4: (laughs) Uh, I think I have a couple of stories. Um, The first one was several years ago when you were out of town. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) um, the boys and I came home late from some kind of church event. And when we came home, I went to the sliding glass door in the back to let the dog out. And she started growling and barking. And as soon as she did that, I heard a man start yelling very threatening things. And he was saying things like, I'm going to come over there and I'm going to shut your dog up. I'm going to come over there and I'm going to tear you apart limb from limb. And of course, I freaked out and slammed the sliding glass door shut, cut off all the lights, called 911. um, And then I ran upstairs upstairs to shut the boys in their room. And on the way back down the stairs, I tried to call you really quick. Yeah, I remember. And it was really late at night and you were two hours later than I was. So I decided I better not call you because there was really nothing you could do anyway. So I hung up the phone. Well, you, I guess, found out that I was trying to call. Yeah,
3: it was like two in the morning. Yeah,
4: and so you called right back and I picked up the phone and I said, sorry, I can't talk right now, the police are here. And then I just hung up on you. <laughs> and as soon as I did that, I thought, oh, no, that was not a smart move. And sure enough, you called me right back. And and I had to tell you that I would, you know, talk to you later. The police were at the door. And really what had happened, the police were great. They showed up in no time at all. And apparently a drunk from a bar way up yep. the street had wandered down the street. And, you know, he was just behind our yard. And so... Um, they searched every. They searched the house. They searched the backyard, and then they said they were going to cruise around and see if they could find anybody. Um, and then they came back within about five minutes and said they had found the guy, and and taken him off. But if I had any more problems, to give him a call. So. <laughs> That's
3: pretty scary. Yeah,
4: that was very scary. But the the scariest part was just you know pulling uh, you in on that when you couldn't yeah, do anything.
3: That was so. scared for me I'm too. just
4: going to apologize for that right now.
3: No, you're forgiven. Thank you. That was- like 15 years ago. <laughs> so what was your other story?
4: Well, it, I don't know if it qualifies as scary, but I took some oral vaccinations for typhoid fever before mm-hmm. we went to Tanzania. Yeah. And had, 2005. had the first hallucinations in my life. And um, one of them was that somebody was breaking into the house and coming after me. And another one was that I was driving home and, there was a car that kept riding up on my bumper with purple headlights. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, when I got home and told you about it, you didn't believe me.
3: <laughs> well, about the one about in the middle of the night, the dream you had about that creature.
4: Yeah, that well. That was scary to me too. That's, yeah, I, I saw this big purple bug thing with ginormous legs hanging down like a flying spider and it was right in my face. and. I woke you up and I was like, Get it, get it, get it, get it and you said
3: And again that was like two or three In the, the morning. middle of the night, yeah. yeah.
4: You said, What's it look like? And I described it to you and as I'm describing it to you it dawns on me there's no <laughs> such thing. But <laughs> strange the scary part you about the story that was point. I actually ended up getting typhoid, typhoid fever, fever anyway mm-hmm. That's and right. had a fever that spiked so high I started hallucinating again. <laughs> yep.
3: Yep. That was after we came back from the trip.
4: Yes. But it was great. Don't let don't let that scare anybody mm, from no. going to Tanzania. That'd be
3: bad. Absolutely. What's your story? Well, as I thought, I mean, thought,
4: nothing can top no those very I, scary I stories. I have
3: you know, I have traveled in many different places and been exposed to a lot of different things, but nothing will compare to that frightening night when we were first married, living in Livingston, Alabama, <laughs> and I walked down a long, dark silent uh, hallway, (laughs) and as I turned the corner, this frightening creature jumped out from the shadows and said, Boo! (laughs) And I screamed like a little girl. He screamed
4: so bad like a girl.
3: (laughs) I thought I was dead.
4: You know, my family. When I was growing up, we had a lot of fun scaring each other. My dad instilled that in us. That was a great source of entertainment, and I just wanted to pass that along yeah. to you. And yeah. When we got married, only I didn't know that you would I'm, scream like a girl. I'm still feeling the effects was, of that today. I was kind of worried. My first thought was, <laughs> "This is me. what he's going to do when a <laughs> boogeyman comes. He's going to scream like a girl."
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I've got your back. <laughs> Well, I hope this is uh, of any help to you guys in collecting your scary stories. And we really enjoy The Bible's Not Boring. Keep it up.
4: Also, we love you. Bye.
1: Hey, do you have two minutes? With the one and only, Neil Pollard. I think I'll have what I'm having. Oh,
3: nice one. Laura Elliott, first grade Bible class teacher at the Cold Harbor Road congregation, was teaching my son Dale's class about King Solomon's 300 wives and 700 concubines. About how not only was it wrong to have so many wives, but how difficult it must have been for Solomon to keep up with all their names. Laura tells me that Dale's solution was simple. Couldn't he just call them all honey? If only keeping up with their names was Solomon's most serious task with regard to those women. Reading 1 Kings 11, right off the heels of Solomon's hosting of the Queen of Sheba and the extremely opulent exchange of gifts between them, we're impressed with an incredible flaw in Solomon's character. Perhaps Ecclesiastes was written later enough in his life that after 1 Kings 11 that he realized with regret the folly of such a lifestyle. Consider some things about Solomon's deadly mistake. First, his mistake was in whom he had such great affection, 1 Kings 11, 1 and 2. They were foreign women from nations with whom God explicitly forbade such fraternization. God knew that such worldly yoking would lead men to fall away from Him. Be careful who your object of affection is. Choosing wrong is a deadly mistake. Second, His mistake was in how He held them in affection. 1 Kings 11, 1 and 2. These women of the world were apparently beautiful and seductive. The word for love in these two verses speaks more to physical attraction and very little uh, spiritual love. It might be said that Solomon pursued these women from lust. From his own pen, he wrote of how dangerous such a pursuit is. To follow his example today is a deadly mistake. And third, his mistake was in what his affection for them led him to do. 1 Kings eleven three 3-10. It led him to worship the idols revered by these pagan women. It also led him to ignore God's commands and even outright rebel against them. The natural consequence of following in his footsteps is the same today. A choice must be made. Choosing the path of sensuality prevents one from obeying God. Obeying God makes it impossible at the same time to pursue such a sinful path. Choose like he did, and you make a deadly mistake. And finally, his mistake is in what his affection for them cost him. First Kings 11 11. His pursuit of these women cost him the kingdom. God took it from him through the rebellion of Jeroboam and the folly of Rehoboam, his son. Following Solomon's mistake is, is costly. It will often cost one... Uh, dearly, financially, socially, physically. Lacking repentance, it will surely cost one eternally. And yet so many are imitating Solomon's deadly mistake. May we take a page from inspiration and learn from Solomon's deadly mistake.
1: This is Dale Pollard. Thanks for listening to The Bible's Not Boring.
0: This is Carl Pollard, oh, this is Carl, and, and if you found this podcast entertaining, why we'll don't just slap it up on your screen? My side. name's Dan,
1: welcome to the podcast! This is Carl, uh, this, is, this is Carl Pollard, and if you hey like- Hey guys, it. thanks so much for tuning in, I appreciate all the support, why don't you smash that like button and share this with your friends? Hey guys, it's Carl Pollard, <laughs> why don't you share the podcast? Alright, wow. you know what? Thanks for listening.
0: We appreciate it. yes, we do. We, we do. really do. We appreciate it. And hey, if you liked it, then why not give it a share? And if you have any comments or suggestions, as always, you can drop that in the podcast email, which is I forgot it. MyQuestionjar <laughs> at gmail.com. MyQuestionjar at gmail.com. And until next Wednesday, dear pilgrims, take it easy.
1: This is Carl Pollard and I approve this message. Thank you so much for listening. V- vote for me.